Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's January 25th, 2019. You're listening to the best poker show on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. I'm not doing the show today, Scott. All right, that's fine. Good. I don't think anybody will notice you're gone. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not now, doing it. I could play your role. I'll be like, fold during the hand of the week. No, no, because someone has to do all the whiny talking then if, if you're doing me. So <laughs> I'm just not doing the show. You know, I, you know, I promised, but, you know, I'm sorry. You know, here's the deal. My Wednesday night bowling team was sponsored by one of my teammates' companies, um, but he quit that company this week. So hmm. I told the guys that we could name the team AnnieUpCruises.com. And our, I also said our PokerCast listeners would pay the $150 fee. But since our fans said they won't pay for it, I'm shutting this show down until you pay for it. Oh, okay. Well, that's all right. Uh, I, I can wait you out. I mean, how long is the shutdown going to last? Uh, you know, <laughs> I know I promised our, our fans would pay for it, but since they won't, I'm going to hold you the show hostage to you giving to my demands. So... I'm going to want to take a break on the show every once in a while, not do it every week. <laughs> You're still going to pay the $150 fee. And uh, I don't know. I'll think of some other things. But uh, until until it happens, this show is not going to talk about poker at all. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I have a root beer barrel in my mouth, so I'm oh, ready to, God. I'm ready to go. Oh my gosh, how old are you? <laughs> I, got, I got some tea here, iced tea, diet iced tea, very good, called Fuse. Although my friends call it Fuzzy, they don't understand. It means Fuse, Fused, Lemonade, and Iced Tea, like an Earl Palmer. But, uh, uh, yeah, well, it could be Fuzzy, though. Yeah, I know, but it can't be Fuzzy, because it's Fused. It's Fused together. Well, well, depends what you're mixing it with. There's only one day. <laughs> uh, so, um, I've learned a lot about alcohol these days. Uh, remember... Well, you, you, had, you had a lot to learn, so... I know, and it's fantastic. It's a whole world out there I never... I'm drinking all the time now. I had uh, some Jack Daniels Tennessee honey the other night. See, there you go. Oh, that's pretty see, good. See, I, now, I, I don't want to scare you, but you were on the Scott Long progression. <laughs> and it's a tried-and-true progression that all drinkers are, because, you know, if you start with beer, you'll never drink ever again, because beer is terrible when you first have it, right? Right. So you, you dance around like the, the fruity, safe things to drink. Uh, it sounds like you skipped the whole Tom Collins stage, which I went through my senior year in college. But Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't see wearing a top hat and <laughs> getting together for mixers in somebody's basement. I'm sorry, I just, just couldn't see myself doing that, so I skipped the Tom Collins phase. But then you'll progressively, you know, oh, this tastes good, this tastes good, and then uh, someday I'm going to find you in the gutter with a, a, a brown paper bag of Ripple. Ripple, and, yep, yep. And that, that, that's that's where you're headed, so just so you know. Well, you know I had that Moscow Mule, right? And I loved yes. it. 
So I, I, I learned that there are other mules, like depending on what you substitute for the drink, like, uh, you know, it, it was vodka or whatever it was for the Moscow part. So then if, if you use like a rum instead of vodka, it's like a Caribbean mule or a Jamaican mule or I don't know what it is, but they they constantly swap out these other drinks. Like tequila is a Mexican mule, they call it. If you put in Mexican tequila instead of vodka and stuff. So this is so much fun. It's so fascinating that I'm, you know, I'm getting buzzed with all these different alcohols and stuff. It's great. <laughs> I didn't know this world existed. I just thought you're all a bunch of sloppy drunks and didn't really care. But now that there's all these nuances to it and stuff, <laughs> I'm still holding the show hostage. By the way, I'm not talking about poker until somebody pays his fee. Uh, so I, I, I figured it out now. This is a this is a filibuster. All right, I'm gonna break the filibuster. <laughs> By actually breaking news, World Series Poker, Chris, has new news this week. This is what the true delay was about, Scott. I was trying to avoid having to talk about this again for a sixth freaking week in a row. Well, you know, I think this is the sixth and final week, because I think all the <laughs> events have, have been announced now. There's still some structure stuff that are working out, and that's probably not going to be exciting enough for us to include on a show of this caliber. You know, some and, sort of list of Hall of Fame guys are coming out the next week, and then, you know, there's going to be a bunch. It's just going to happen every week. These guys are well, brilliant. No, it, and I would be more upset if it wasn't like the biggest poker tournament of the year that everybody in the world looks forward to anyhow. So, you know, if it was if it was one of our anti-up partners doing this, I, I would still do it because they're paying me. But uh, I would feel a little less excited for our listeners. But. So you see how easy it was? We got the show back on track and it only took, let's see, four minutes and 53 seconds. How difficult was that? Well, we had, we had to fill the uh, listener spotlight spot since we don't have one of those weeks. So. But you're still going to have to pay the $150 fee. I don't get the spots for my team. Make the check out to Chris Casenza. Oh, my God. But anyway, uh, to, right. to, anyway to, to, to say, though, we, we have really named our team, AnnieUpCruises.com. It came out. The standings came out today. So at least 160 bowlers are seeing that every week. So I got some free advertising for the company. So, yeah, so we just need to work on a uh, combination poker bowling cruise. Oh, that's no problem at all. Think we can bring a lane and put it on in the conference center? There? Absolutely. And if if we can get enough Moscow mules in these guys, they'll think shuffleboard is bowling anyway. <laughs> so we can Pretty pull close it off. Everything, yes. <laughs> bowling without pins, yes. <laughs> all right, let's talk about the World Series. All right. So uh, they have confirmed 34 more events. Uh, most of them holdovers from last year's series. So if you liked them last year, you'll love them again this year. If you like hated them last year, well, hey, we announced all the new ones earlier. So, yeah. uh, they also have made some other announcements about this year's 50th series. Chip stacks in all events have been increased greatly. For example, a fifteen hundred dollar buy-in event now will start players with twenty five thousand units, up from seventy five hundred units last year and fifteen hundred units just a few years ago, if you remember. Uh, structures have also been revised, of course. Uh, with all events now using the big blind ante, everybody's very excited about this. Well, most people are only those crazy, uh, cranky people that still haven't figured out how awesome the big blind ante is. But everybody else loves it. Yeah. And one new event has been announced, a bracelet winners only event, open only to previous bracelet winners on Jan- uh, July 10th. So you and I will not be invited unless <laughs> we win a bracelet this year because then you can well, jump in. Enter that $500 or what is that $400 event or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm a little ticked off already. You can tell this ticked me off now because in 2000, what was it? What year did we go to seven when we when we both played in the wow. same year? 
I think it was 2006 uh, or seven. Uh, no, it was before. Yeah, yeah, it was before we started the company. Before so. the company, but still. But after this, yeah, that's probably probably 20. Yeah, 2007. Yeah. I mean, I entered a $1,500 event and I got 3,000 chips. So yeah. while I was better off than the Saps the year before, who paid 1,500, <laughs> got 1,500 chips. Now, just because of some arbitrary, hey, the Earth went around the sun 50 times, we're gonna get 25,000 units. For why didn't I get 25,000 units for my? Fit? That's a lot of yeah. money. It's because Venetian hadn't started the deep stack tournaments back. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it started the chip uh, inflation that we've seen. Oh, man. That's a lot of chips for, I mean, given the normal structures of a World Series event, that's a decent amount of chips right there to start. Well, again, yeah, obviously they said they're going to revise structures, and the re- revision is not just adding Big Blind Annie. That's the, the headline. But I would imagine, obviously, they're going to make some tweaks here or there to uh, account for the fact that you're getting – three times as many chips as yeah. you had before yeah and three times six times as many as back when they used to give you a chip for every dollar you spent <laughs> yeah uh so yeah so it's probably gonna change a little bit we also talked about this last week with the uh over 350,000 chips or whatever you're getting for the 50,000 that um that's just the way people play now people play with more chips now and uh, the structure is becoming less important um than the chip count so um it does give you a little bit more comfort um, you'll have to play a little bit faster, obviously. But uh, uh, you know, if you're a a first time World Series of poker player and you want to like extend your time there, this is going to make it easier for you to extend your time there. I think, in my opinion. Wow. So, wow. Unless you're the type that just loves saying all in. If you say all in, then hey, you could be on the first hand too with twenty five thousand, twenty five fifty blinds. If that's what you want to do, you know, hey, it's your fifteen hundred. You be you, I be me. Right. <laughs> Uh, but no, I actually I think this is a good and you know again without seeing the structures they may be horrible but uh, I doubt they will be. Um, uh, I'm a um, I'm a in favor of these these changes so I think it's going to make the events better for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well Scott Wellenbeck, a 67 year old Canadian who converted to Buddhism as a young man, says he'll give away the 671 thousand dollars he won in a Poker Stars Bahamas event. As he does with all of his poker winnings, Oxfam, Doctor, Doctors Without Borders, and various Canadian Buddhist charities will be the beneficiaries of Wellenbach's latest win. Wow, so he's like the, uh, the Greenstein of Canada. He's the, the, Barry, the amateur Barry Greenstein. Yeah. I tell you what, that's, that's remarkable. I mean, I'm assuming you know that, that he's set in his, his ways and his life, so that money, he's just playing for the competition of it, and that money... Because it's you can't imagine needing that money, and then because you could be the charity yourself if you if you're broke. So um, it's very impressive that he's given the money away. I liked the part of the article where he was saying that um, he was trying to rectify his Buddhist practices with the competition of poker and stuff. Um, you know, uh, he was saying that it gave him an opportunity to work with the heavens and hells of his of your mind and stuff, and you're winning and losing. Uh, uh, so he, he rectifies it. He justifies being able to play and, and still uh, be a Buddhist. And um, I don't know. Just that's a great story. Good story that you know. And donating to all those you know doctors without borders is great and just fantastic story, man. Yeah, I kind of like the, what you mentioned there too. That it's uh, again it shows how poker is a game that enlightens you. Uh, using his Buddhist term there in ways that you don't always think about. So. Yeah. Um, uh, now maybe there are Buddhists out there that think he's a travesty for for gambling or playing poker. Maybe not. I don't know. 
Um, but um, he's made peace with it, and um, certainly, sir, the charities that are benefiting from him are making peace with it as well, too. So. He's giving the money away. I mean, it's just a nice gesture, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, right. I don't know. It didn't really say whether how well off he is. Um, you know, he did make a point that he will. He will earn his reward on the other side, um, so he feels comfortable doing it, but that doesn't mean necessarily that he has the money to do it. But I would imagine that if his family is starving, he would not be giving away 671000 You could make the same thing by giving away 300000 right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he said that he, he works as a translator of Sanskrit and Tibetan Buddhist texts, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily that. mean that he's not rich either. You know what I mean? He could also have money somehow. And then he, you know, so I'm not trying to belittle what he's doing. I'm just saying I yeah, wonder well, how he gets by on being a translator and still can afford to just give away money well, and, and enter events. For so you know, yeah. But you know, nice, very nice. Rings on his pinky, then you're probably getting paid well translating. So. I got, I got to tell you, you, when you got a story like this and the next one coming up, how do you lead with the World Series of Poker again? <laughs> I don't well, know. Because I knew you were gonna do some bit like you always do, and, uh, <laughs> like, like I always do. So we had to immediately get into the poker before we got back to the fun, or we we're going to lose all seven of our listeners instead of five. Oh, it's up from it's up to seven now. <laughs> wow! I can start counting on the other hand now. Oh man! All right. So, legendary comedic actress Betty White turned ninety-seven years young last week, and she told late-night TV host James Corden that she was celebrating by playing in a regular poker game with friends. And she says, "Quote: We don't play for a lot of money." In fact, we don't play for any money, but we play for blood. Absolutely. It's serious business. <laughs> All right. So we've done, over the course of the 27 years we've been doing this show, we've done a number of lists on who we'd want to be playing poker with, right? I don't yeah. think Beggy White was ever on my list, and now she is number one. That is absolutely true. I, I, I think she she's like our Queen Elizabeth. I think she's like royalty in this country. She's just Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, and she's, you know, she, I can imagine that she's got to be telling dirty jokes around the table too. Because she's, oh my gosh, can you imagine having a camera on that game? Man. That most fun poker game in the history of poker. Oh man, that is an excellent story. How do we not know? She's been around ninety-seven years. How do we not know she had a home game until now? Yeah, it seems like a big miss that she wasn't on the Celebrity Poker Showdown or whatever that thing yeah, was. I know. Was hilarious on that. Oh, yeah, we don't. But uh, obviously, they don't play for money. But they obviously, I'm sure they don't actually play for pints of real blood. <laughs> so they, <laughs> they must be playing for something, right? So we don't know what the stakes are. But uh, uh, so maybe she didn't feel comfortable in a celebrity poker showdown being bluffed by Dennis Rodman, who had no idea what he's doing ever. I remember uh, that? That was an awesome episode. <laughs> but um, so yeah, maybe that's why she wasn't on there. But she would have made great TV, and uh, I absolutely. I mean, even all right. Bet, uh, take away Betty White, and I'm saying a lot when I'm saying take away Betty White. Wouldn't it be hilarious to play poker with a bunch of 97 year old women? Uh, hilarious or mind numbingly just. No, hey, I'm sorry. When you make it to 97, <laughs> you're doing something right. You've got a little bite to you, and I'm sure those discussions around there are are absolutely not G-rated, not even PG-13 rated. May not even be R-rated. Um, and I think I think that that would just be a fun game. And, of course, you know, with Betty White, you know it would be. But uh, I got short arms. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think that. I think, I think this is really like Golden Girls come to life here, I think. I think it's going to be a lot of biting humor and... Uh, you got 97 years worth of material to work with. Too, right? <laughs> well, she's... I mean, she's... She's hilarious, and she's. But we don't know who the people in the game are. 
You well, know? no, but I, I mean, assuming if you're friends with Betty White, they're going to be in Betty White's stratosphere, right? Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Uh, that would be just a blast. That would be a blast, man. Well, invite her. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Hey, if if we ever have another game. home game, I they don't invited think we... her to host Saturday Night Live, and she showed up. So you know. I can't remember the last home game we had. I know, I know. I feel bad about that. I keep trying to plan one, and then I yeah, sure you yeah. do, sure you do. <laughs> uh, all right, so we got any updates here? The Silks Poker Room at Tampa Bay Downs will host an Annie Up Poker Tour Series February fourth to the tenth, featuring six events, including a seniors, monster stack, and a bounty, culminating with a five flight, two hundred and fifty dollar main event. Step satellites for the main event start at 25 bucks, and throughout the month of January, players will have numerous chances to make it into the main with four satellites and high-hand promotions in every tournament that will award satellite seats or even main event entries. For the full schedule, structures, and other details, visit antiantmagazine.com slash silks. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack near Minneapolis, Minnesota, will be awarding 11 Antiup Poker Cruise packages for the October 26th sailing to the Eastern Caribbean and $1,200 in travel money during the month of February. The 10 poker players with the most hours played from February 1st to 28th will compete in a Sail Away Poker Tournament streamed on Twitch using Running Aces RFID table, with the winner getting a package. If one or more of the other players can't participate, a drawing will be held to filled seats, with poker players getting one ticket for every poker tier point earned in February. Table games players will get one raffle ticket for every 10 table games tier point earned, and drawings for cruise packages on February 1st, 3rd, 8th, 10th, 15th, 17th, 22nd, 24th, and 28th, with one package awarded each drawing and two packages awarded on the final drawing. For more info on this promotion, all of Antioch Poker Cruises, visit AntiochCruises.com, the now proud sponsor of Chris's bowling team on Wednesday nights. Uh, Rivers Casino and Resorts Connectedy will be awarding 10 Ocean View Antioch Poker Cruise packages for the April 20th sailing to the Western Caribbean and $1,000 in onboard credit during the month of February. Winners of the Hot Seats Cash Game Drawings at 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. on February 8th and 9th and 23rd, and at 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. on February 18th and 24th will win a package. Players must have been seated for 30 minutes to qualify. For more info on that promotion, all of Antioch Polo Cruises, AntiochCruises.com. All right, restock the shelves. Are you going to do restock the shelves for me? Sure, absolutely. They're tired of hearing my voice, I'm sure. All right, Rander, we stock the shelves. Food Bank Initiative of Blue Shock Optics is in its final week, folks, so get out there and donate some food. Uh, here are the venues hosting events this week. You can go to antiupmagazine.com slash restock for more details. Pachanga Resort and Casino in Temecula, California. A special restock the shelves tournament is at 7 p.m. on January 30th and has a $1,500 guaranteed prize pool and a $10 buy-in, Chris. Wow. Uh, donate five food items and start with 3,500 units or donate three food items and start with 2,500 units. Miami Poker Society in Miami, Florida will host a special restock the shelves tournament on January 31st. And Rivers Casino and Resort and Schenectady. Schenectady. Always screw it up. I think you just shorten it. Freaking Midwesterner. It's Skek, New York. Skek. An 11 a.m. tournament on January 27th. Players get 10,000 additional units for making a $10 donation or donating 10 food items. And don't forget, daily and weekly promotions are running all month at Lucky Chances Casino in Colma, California, Pachanga Resort and Casino in Temecula, California, Derby Lane, in St. Petersburg, Florida, Miami Poker Society in Miami, the Windy City Poker Championship in Frankfort, Illinois, Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, Seneca and Niagara Casino and Resort in Niagara Falls, New York, and Bend Poker Room in Bend, Oregon. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? 
Email us at podcastandandy at magazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker, Elliot, check to tell how he would have ruled. This comes from Phil N. At a 1-2-11 holding casino cash game, I lean forward from seat 9 to get a better look at seat 1 stack, and I see that he has lost about 40 bucks in chips. Um, well, he has 40 bucks. He has, he has. What did I say? That he lost somehow. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know how I said he lost. Hands on over you. I'm wearing glasses today for the first time. <laughs> Uh, he, says, uh, he has about $40 left in chips uh, before my turn bet. Thinking that I'm only risking about 40 bucks, I announce all in. Seat 8 then points out to me that seat 1 has several chips in his hand, including $100 chip. Should I be able to adjust my bet? Would a four-person ever rule that the chips in hand would be considered removed from the stack for the entire hand or just a turn bet? My opponent ultimately folded. Elliot says, in cash games, an important part of table stakes is that all chips must remain in plain view. As some of the other players' chips were in his hand and not on the table, they should have been ruled out of play for the rest of the hand. Uh, When I've had to make this ruling, I also let the offending player know that any further instances will lead to removal from the poker room. Table stakes rules are fundamental to poker and need to be vigorously enforced. The name of the rule says it all. Table Table stakes are in effect, not hand stakes or pocket stakes. The other part of your situation that needs to be addressed is your all-in declaration. What was so difficult about saying 40 or 50, that was the amount you intended to bet. Each has two syllables, just like all-in. I feel as though you outsmarted yourself on the spot in a possible attempt at intimidation or merely trying to be cute. Had you bet the $50 and then your opponent tried to claim that they had more funds in play or case that you bet the amount that your opponent had on the table becomes much stronger and therefore easier to rule in your favor. Some floors are going to say that the money was in play at the beginning of the hand, and all players are responsible for being aware of what each player has in front of them. Yeah, I'm going to say this is one of those rulings that I would not know how it's going to go in any particular room, and I would not be surprised if it changed. And it's also one of those rulings where if you want to be pedantic, you could start to say, hey, this guy, you know, he's shuffling his chips. Right. And or he's doing, you know, a lot of guys have to take three chips off their stack and do that little. I'm going to bring one from the front of the three chips and put it in the back and keep doing that over and over again in my hand. So, you know, that happens often. And so it's like, hey, the minute you see somebody has a bunch of chips in their hand, you can now angle shoot. You know, I mean, it, it would take a lot of, you know, timing and and everything. But a lot of people do that. They wait for the right moment to expose somebody playing with their chips. To say, hey, I think I can get away with this here, and know that no matter what he has in his hand, now I only have to play what's on the table. You know what I mean? So there's all this kind of uh, nuances to this ruling. You know, I know they say table stakes, um, but people grab their chips all the time and hold them, shuffle them. When they're shuffling them, they pick them off the stack. And then, I mean, there's all this. We, I mean, why did this guy have the hundred dollar chip in his hand? Because he was probably doing a chip trick or something. He was probably yeah. shuffling the chips in his hand. And you know what I mean? He chose to use the hundreds because, I don't know, he was a Deutsche Bank. I don't know. But whatever it is, you know, this can now just open up a whole new can of worms. Um, bizarre. It's a bizarre thing. I, I don't blame Phil for anything. He could do whatever he wants. If he thinks he's only going to risk 40 and wants to say all in for intimidation, that's his, you know, that's his. Well, you know, yeah, I, I would agree with that. But I'd also agree with Elliot's point is, is that if you are, this is like anything else, where you say a unprecise, make an unprecise verbal statement. Or make an imprecise bet uh, for whatever reason. If maybe you have a good reason for doing it, um, you also have to accept the consequences of that. And uh, you know, I like when Elliot said it's the same syllables: <laughs> forty, fifty, all in. Both have two syllables. So, <laughs> um, so you know, if you want to try to avoid this situation, that's that's Phil's lesson here. Um, 
but uh, but to the other point too, I you know I I I would accept whatever ruling a floor had in this situation if I was the one that had chips in my hand. Um, but I will say I might be a little upset if that ruling went that way. Um, if if my if I was not concealing the chips, if I was merely just having it in my hand, you know, like you said, doing a chip trick or even nervously holding. Sometimes I might hold a couple chips there just for whatever reason. Um, I'm not um, hiding the chips in any way. I mean, they're visible. They just aren't part of my stack yeah. so like that point but it, it, it'd be different if i was like palming them and i was like had my hands on the table or whatever like that where i was clearly hiding them or even if i wasn't trying to hide them they, they were hidden i don't consider chips necessarily hidden if they're in my hand and i'm playing with them you know um now again i, I would accept the ruling and i probably it's probably a good reminder now not to do that so not in that situation in the future but um that does seem a little extreme to me. Um, if the chips are visible, I, I would. In fact, when I answered Phil, I was like, I, I would thought that the the answer from Ellie would have been that it's the player's responsibility to know what chips are in play. Right, so which is what the Phil. rule says. Right at the beginning yeah. of the rule, it says that. Yeah. And um, you always ask. You could always say, you know, hey, how much do you have? And obviously, the player doesn't have to answer you, but they have to at that point clearly make their stack visible. So at that point. If the player has hand, uh, chips in his hand, a good player will put them in the stack now, right? Or mm -hmm. the dealer will probably say, hey, you know, you need to put them in your stack. And that would have avoided this whole problem, right? So yeah. um, so there, there are lots of ways around this. Um, and that's what I always look for in Call of Florida. How, how can you prevent it in the future rather than what's the proper ruling if you if all hell breaks loose and you end up in the spot, right? It's always better to, to prevent the, the mistake than deal with it later on. So. This also recalls to mind the, I think it's Jack Strauss, the chip in a chair rule thing, where he had a 100-unit yeah, chip yeah. under a napkin. It's like, well, how did he go all in in that tournament? If, if it, you know what I mean, that chip was there, and then so it wasn't visible, but it was on the table. You know what I mean? So you could just totally say, hey, that, that whole story might be null and void now because he shouldn't have won. Or, you know what I mean? Or, you know what I mean? It's just, that's how you could stay alive in a tournament is take your highest denomination put it under a napkin it's on the table you know, i just didn't see <clears throat> yep. it and it's out of play for this hand and yeah. then I can't i can't be eliminated I can't be eliminated so it opened <laughs> a whole can of worms i'm telling you yeah very so, interesting yeah again i think this is one of the situations and i'm confident in and ellie to be able to explain this and most good floors explain it but not to, this is a situation where you can't simply rule. You have to actually educate players, and yeah, yeah. I think you got to explain both to Phil and the other player what they could have done to have prevented this, and the fact that you can't guarantee that other floor wouldn't rule the opposite way. So don't. This is not Supreme Court precedent now. So <laughs> you know, be sure you 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 do it properly going forward, or you know, you're you're really going to suffer the consequences. So yeah, if you got your uh, chip on a, on top of your cards, it's not really on the table on the card so it's not table stakes so that chips out of play i'm still free to keep going on and keep playing people could totally be pedantic about this and just create now obviously common heads would rule and, the, and they just throw you out of the poker room if you refuse to to give in to common sense but i mean this could totally just make people try stupid crap now Unbelievable. Right. and that's the last thing you went in the poker room right yeah you don't want that Hey, we have a new O'Malley's move, and I guarantee it's crazy. Easy. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. 
I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing a different game than usual. We are seated in a 25 cent, 50 cent, no limit, crazy pineapple home game. So we have an extensive history with most of these players. Most of the table bought in for $100, the game has been going for roughly two hours, and we've made a profit of $10. We sit with 110. The table is eight-handed. It's been pretty action-rich, and there are a lot of shoves after the flop, both from Stone Cold Nut Hands and Stone Cold Bluff Hands. The blinds post, under the gun calls, MP raises to $2, the standard raise for this table, the hijack calls, and we look down in the cutoff at the Queen of Clubs, Ten of Clubs, Ten of Hearts. The MP is a solid player. He started the hand with 127. This raise probably isn't a speculative one. I'm guessing he has a pretty strong hand. But we've got a decent hand, too, with a lot of flop potential. The plan I'm going with is to call the $2 and then either flop big or fold. We call. The button folds, as does the small blind, but the big blind and under the gun call. The pot is roughly $10 and the flop hits us hard. The jack of clubs, 10 of spades, 9 of clubs comes down. The under the gun checks. This player is inexperienced and loves setting what he thinks are traps. More often than not, his hand is not nearly as strong as he thinks it is, and his opponents end up drawing out on him because of his trap plays. He is the big stack at the table, with 137. The MP makes a pot-sized bet of $10 and the hijack folds. I'm not going to mess around here. I'm sticking with my made hand, and I'm raising to push out as many people as I can, and hopefully get heads up. We make it $30 to go. The big blind folds, but the under the gun shoves all in for 125 more, and the MP snap calls his remaining 115. So, the main pot stands at around 270, and we have to call off our remaining 78 to have a chance at that. We're getting roughly 3.4 to 1 on our money. Did we just step in it here? So, are we calling? And if so, what card are we pitching? Are we keeping our set, or our open-ended straight flush drop? What's the move? All right, it's time for the advancedpokertrain.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And Chris, Rob Landstrom has the honor of sending us the first short deck hand of the week. Oh, good. And we have the honor of probably completely screwing this up because I have never played short deck. I don't think you have either, right? No, just short deck setback. That's it. All right, so we we have a basic understanding of how this game is played, but uh, we are not experts on this, just like we're not experts on any poker game. <laughs> hey, come on, I think I'm I'm pretty good at five card stud, first one up, last one down. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> oh man! All right, so he says, I'm sure you've hold, heard of short deck hold'em, where they play no limit hold'em without the deuces through the fives in the deck. And there is even a difference in the order of a hand. Three of a kind beats a straight, and a flush beats a full house. And he says, on America's Card Room, proud sponsor of Annie Up. Yeah, baby. They call it Six Plus Hold'em. Smart name. And uh, so that's where he was playing this. Um, and 10 cent, 25 cent, no limit Hold'em uh, stakes. He said the buy-in is 25 bucks, and we were sitting on 24.91. So we've only blinded off nine cents so far. <laughs> so he, he hasn't worked it all the way up to, like, 80 bucks? No. Well, if he did, he worked it up and he worked it back down. And then he worked it back down. Uh, <laughs> for doing it, so. um, all right. And he is in the uh, small blind. Um, he says it was folded to the button. 
who has more than $60 and raises to $0.70 his standard raise. And we are in the small blind with the queen six of clubs. Go ahead. You said you're going to imitate me. Go ahead. Do it. Fold. Fold. <laughs> Seriously, I got to let that go. I'm in the small blind. I don't even have to put any. I only put a dime in. Why would I want to risk $0.70 cents and possibly a lot more with somebody who raised? I realize it's a button raise, but still... You're going to be out of position with queen six. I don't care how valuable flushes are now. A queen six suited is still not even the computer hand. Although I guess it's better than a computer hand uh, in this game. Uh, computer hand yes. is the queen seven is the average winning I just, hand. I would imagine that is correct. So Again, this, we, I'm going to be a disclaimer at the beginning of this hand. I have not studied this. I don't know the odd, the shifting odds, and all that. So I will, if I say anything, I'm not stating it as fact because I have no idea. But here's the other thing, Scott. Merely assumptions. The fact that a flush beats a full house means that it's harder to make a flush than it is to make a full house. So playing a suited, you know, pair of cards isn't isn't a you know, it's it's harder to hit a flush. We're down to nine flush cards. We have two, so that's seven left, and we need three of those seven. Yeah, to come on. it's hard to make. So I, automatically, this hand goes into the muck, and uh, I cover up a couple more chips with a napkin to to survive. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean that's that to me. That's a hand that that goes in the muck instantly, no matter what game I'm playing, unless Queen Six is the nuts. Well, I think this is what's interesting about this game now because uh, Rob will say before we go on that uh, with flushes being so valuable, he found himself winning to see flops when he had suited cards. Now, you make an excellent point that they are more valuable uh, because they're harder to hit. Uh, but this is an interesting thing in, in poker because in non-short deck, I mean, for a full house, uh, you're playing a pair and you have lots of options with that pair, right? Yeah. You could flop a set. You know, you could get some backdoor straights and flushes, and a full house is not something you play for pre-flop, right? Right. But something that you can develop later on. So, but here's a scenario now where you have two cards that, if you hit it, is a super strong hand. So, I would think this is the the challenge in short deck is the risk versus reward here. So the risk, as you mentioned, very high, because we need to get half the cards that are left to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, but the reward is higher because now we don't have to worry about uh, a full house uh, sucking out of us on the river. Um, so if we get there, then we're probably going to win. So it's interesting. I I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think I'm going to get out of this. But again, we are really essentially heads up. we got the big blind behind us. Um, I, I don't know what people raise with in, in this particular game. I imagine a button raise is still pretty wide in this game as it is anywhere yeah, else. Right? Yeah, yeah, probably. So it's possible that, that we don't need to hit those clubs to win either. Um, it's also possible that they have an ace-queen or something that's dominated as well, too. Um, or ace-king of clubs, meaning that our clubs are not good. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I tend not to like to be out of position for a raise, um, even with, with, with the possibility of a, of a flush here. I would think the other thing, too, is it's much harder to get paid off with a flush, too, now in this game, right? Yeah, I think so. Because now, I mean, if you and now you're looking down a full house, and then you see three uh, three clubs out there. Now you got to pay a little bit more attention. I mean, certainly you're not worried about that. And no women hold them. Uh, regular uh, full deck, 
It's just so hard to make. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. I guess because when you're when you're playing a full deck, full house, you're thinking if you have a pair, or you're thinking the board is paired. You know, all they had to do is flop a set, and then any any combination of pairs on the board gives somebody a full house. Whereas there's still only nine cards. Was it nine cards that are suited or eight? How many cards? Are, how many yeah. cards are taken? Are taking two, three, four, five? Yeah, so nine. So and four, so two, nine. Yeah, and you've got two. Left, yeah, so. Yeah, I, I think I would. Dis- I think I would easily dismiss the flush sometimes when I make a full house. You know, it's so hard to make. It's not like the board pairing. You know what I mean? Right, it's, so, so you're saying actually the opposite? Then you might get paid off with the flush because of that. Because you, yeah, I think you might. Hard to imagine, or it's harder to imagine somebody making it there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure this is the actual. I don't. I don't mind his strategy of playing suited cards, but uh, I, I. I think this might be the bad spot for him. Yeah, no. especially if you hit your queen. Say you hit the queen, now you, how confident are you? Oh, because it's a short deck, you think you're the only one that has a queen in your hand? I mean, the queens are out there. It's not like they they took the queens from the deck and you only have two of them and you got them both. You know what I mean? This is, even if you hit your queen, you can't be confident. You know, the guy could have ace-queen. He could have kings or aces. Because people are still going to get dealt pairs. People are still going to be raising with quality normal hands. They're still going to get them. Right, exactly, yeah. Mm. I would think there is a different level of gamble in this game. Yeah. Unnecessarily... More, but probably yeah. less, but more strategic gamble, I would think. But yeah, this is a scary game for me. And plus, you're in a small blind, so now you're you're acting out of position the whole time. You still don't know what the big blind's going to do, and you're calling a seven x raise with a queen six. I mean, suited or not, you know. Ugh. And it's interesting they say what the suited in the regular deck only suited cards only improve your hand by like two and a half percent or something like that, two to three percent. So, what does it do in this game? I mean, it can't be that much better because you have fewer cards. So, I don't know what that does. I, th- I think it decreases. It probably improves your hand by like one percent or something, right? Hmm. Could be. Yeah. I don't know. This, I love that we brought a hand of the week on that just shows our ignorance. It's it's, <laughs> it's perfect. But we uh, we properly included the necessary disclaimer. Disclaimer, exactly. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, obviously, our hero is going to call here because um, of how he set this up. Uh, it does not say the big blind folded, but going forward in the hand, it looks like the big blind did fold. So we are uh, heads up, and the flop is 7-8 queen with one club. Hmm. We are first act, obviously. There we go. Um, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> There are two trains of thought. The train of thought is that this guy could have been just raising with anything in the button, so you want to check to him and let him bet and maybe raise him or string him along. Or there's a train of thought that, you know, uh, he's supposed to have a good hand here. You're hoping he has something like jacks, you know, and maybe you bet into him, and I don't know. That, that's the problem here is that if, if he has kings or aces or ace-queen, you know, you're, you're probably in this hand to the end, and you're screwed. Um... I don't know what to do here. I, I, I think I would probably just check call. Yeah, I think I kind of want to disguise my hand a little bit here, let him kind of uh, hopefully hang himself and not hang us. I mean, again, we're not super strong here, but he doesn't have a queen, we're ahead, and then we do have those back door, a couple back doors, you know. So um, so we have some potential to uh, to get there, although the straight is <laughs> probably the weakest of the big hands now here, right, in this yeah. game. so. Um, but yeah, I think I'm gonna check and uh, check call and then uh, reassess on the turn. So, isn't it kind of mind-boggling when you think about this? I mean, you start thinking about three of a kind now improves in strength, yet there's still only four of those cards in the deck. 
You know what I mean? It's like there's only four fours in the deck, but there's always four fours in the deck, but it it gets more powerful when you remove cards, when it's more likely you're going to get that card because there's only a few of them. You know what I mean? It's not more likely, yeah, but you know what I mean? fewer sets possible. Yeah, so it's just weird that it, it grows in strength, yet it reduces the cards. It, it's a bizarre thing. It's like you think that there's more of those cards now in the deck in ratio to the other cards, so you think it would be less valuable, but it's more valuable because since there's fewer cards, it's more likely that someone else is going to have the card you need to make three of a card. It's just a weird... This game really screws with your mind, you know? Well, and, and the advice I give anybody when the new game comes out like this is that the people that spend the time right away figuring out all that stuff that we're talking about now are the ones that are going to make bank Yeah. initially in the first, you know, until everybody gets used to it. Um, so... You know, obviously, I'm not discouraging you from playing it, but I am encouraging you to do as much research as you can on it and try to understand those concepts before you actually put your money down on it. Um, I mean, this is one of those games where I'm definitely going to to read about it and, and try to get some other insight on it, and then sit, sit around and deal out practice hands all day long. <laughs> and, and this will Look obviously at- be the normal path of over the other games, where everyone who understands it banks bank on it then when everyone understands it the game fades and they come up with another yeah. game and they make another one so they can make their bank right. again the next one's going to be called open face short deck six <laughs> plus hold them what a country <laughs> <laughs> all right uh our hero says uh at top pair with a backdoor flush draw and a backdoor bottom straight draw i check to the razor he bets $1.17 into the $1.65 pot and back to us. Yeah, I think I'll just call. I mean, I, I'm like you, I'm trying to disguise the hand, and since I'm in the small blind, it might look like I got a straight draw, uh, and I have top pair. Again, we hate our kicker, uh, which we Yeah, know it's we an would. interesting board, too. It's a good board for a small blind bluff because um, we could represent uh, two pair. We could represent uh, five, six, or nine, ten, you know, if the straight gets there. Uh, there's a lot of hands that we could represent without actually actually getting there with our actual hand. And you know, we, I, I spoke earlier about check raising uh, one scenario maybe, but I, I don't think a check raise w- no, really would, is a good idea at all here because right, you, if you check raise, you're only going to get worse hands to fold or better hands to call. It's not like you have two pair and you're check raising hoping he has kings. Right. Th- this is, hey, I only have a queen. So I have a pair of queens with a six kicker, and if I check raise him because he has jacks, he's going to fold and know I have the queen, Mike, maybe. And if he has an over pair, he's going to be beating us. So the check raise really doesn't work here now that I thought about it. So I'm just going to call. I can't raise now. Yeah, I think the the real problem with the check raise for me is it, it just eliminates what I just mentioned. Uh, you, it, it takes away some hands you can represent. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, I mean, you could check raise here on a, on a straight draw on the come, and then when you hit – you know that that's fantastic that happens we we don't want that to happen here we want we want to pretend like we hit it after and, and got there so um i'm quite happy just calling here and see what happens and you know if we improve that's great now we can get active on the turn if the board gets scarier in our favor then we can represent and that's good too um i like to have all those tools in my tool belt here going forward yeah absolutely all right, our hero didn't listen to us, but he's played more than we have, Chris. So I uh, check raises to two dollars and fifty cents. He says I have top pair here, and I found that to be a that to be a powerful hand in this game, and I'm hoping to take this down right here. Now, obviously, there are guys sea betting with air that's going to work, um, but I don't know if it's going to work 
in any other case, right? Right. And that's the thing, and I don't know what hand what hand calls unless the two is somehow on a draw, but I doubt the preflop raiser is not maybe has nine ten, I don't know. Um but I the only thing I see now is us behind if if he calls. Or re raises. Re raises, whatever. So yeah, re raises. So I, I, I feel like the check raise just is not gonna help us here. It's only gonna hurt. I think so. Guess we'll see what happens. Uh, all right, our hero calls. The turn is the jack of clubs. So now it's 7-8 queen jack with two clubs on the board. And we are first act. Well, now that you've check raised, you have to bet. And now you've got your flush draw. You've got your top pair. Fortunately, we got a card that helps. So yeah, and a card that helps, too. So. Uh, so I'm assuming there's like six and a half bucks in the pot or so. so. Yeah, it's like, like six seventeen, I would think, if yeah. The rig was already taken out before. Yeah, so here's the deal. Uh, I don't know. You know, if the guy's beating us now, he's probably still going to call. That's the problem. Um, if he does call, you got to hit your hand. Um, and, because I don't think the queens are good. So I'm going to bet and hope he drops it now if he's on a draw or if he's... Maybe we could force him off of his hand if he's got something like kings or ace-queen, but I doubt it. You know, he could think that the small blind actually made two pair, and that's why we're playing this way, and the check-raise got to give him some pause. But because we check-raise, we can't just check again. I think we have to yep. bet now. So, yep. I don't know, four bucks maybe? Three and a half? Yeah, bucks? I'm happy with half the pot, so three bucks will be fine to me, but, you know, I'm not opposed to more either. So, um, let's see what happens. Okay. Uh, um, all right. Our hero says no need to slow down now. Plus, it's been my experience that if the flush draw gets there and the other person doesn't have it. The betting is done. Okay, that kind of goes to what we said at the beginning. That it's tough to get paid off with the flush, right? So, right. Um, so he bets four dollars into the six dollars sixty-five cent pot, knowing that if the flush draw gets there, my opponent won't put any more money into the pot. So yeah, you know, all right. That he talked me into the extra dollar that you were going to put in there because of that reason. So, right. It's kind of like Omaha in a way. You got to get paid off on the come. Because you don't get paid off when you actually make it. So uh, the button calls. Mm, that's what I'm afraid of. River is the ace of spades. So final board seven eight queen jack ace with two clubs, and we are first act on the river here. Well, maybe we can check, and you know, if he makes some sort of value bet and it's reasonable, we call. I. I, I the only way I bet now is if I know I'm behind, but I think I can get on the fold, and I'm playing online, and it's hard to imagine that you've got that kind of a beat on someone's playing ability or, or style or whatever habit. So, I don't know. I think I'm going to check call something reasonable uh, and be happy that I, you know, if I win, be happy I took it down. And if I'm, you know, maybe I've scared him enough that if he does have something like ace-queen, he checks behind too and just is happy to take it down as well, and I lose a minimum um but i just don't like that six kicker um or even an overpair he, he could he could there's no reason why you can't have aces here or kings or something That's so true you yeah. know um if he had something really big like a set i think obviously he wouldn't have played it the way he played i think he would have played it differently he would have bet more on different stages here and would have raised us or stuff so um yeah and i, I the ace I, maybe he has an ace maybe he had ace king of clubs you know you don't know that, and then maybe he now hit the king, or the ace, I mean. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to push somebody off a hand here that has us beat anymore. So I think I'm going to check. I talked myself into a check. Yeah, I think this really uh, illustrates the, the 
danger you get into when you check raise and it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, because and and that early in the hand. So you know we check raise. Our hope was to take it down there. All right, the call ruined that. Um, then turn comes. Unfortunately, we get a card that somewhat helps our hands, and now we can we don't have to wave up the white flag yet. We can still bet strong and hopefully win it there. Bet called that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and now the river comes and we're stuck. Now now we've got second pair. Um, that ace is a super scary card. Um, so now we're in this horrible dilemma of do we bet again and hope that we can get him to fold or do we check and give him an opportunity to bluff at us and then have to decide whether to call or not and um, and as you mentioned if it's a, it's a decent sized value bet we'll probably call but that's exactly what that kind of person wants us to do right so right. Um, this is why I, I, I really I, I don't have the check raise in in my um, my game very often for this reason. I just I don't like the the situation it gets me in when it backfires. Um, so at this point I I think I'm done with this hand. I checked and hopefully he checks behind and my queen holds up. You know maybe I can be talked into a small call, but you know if the guy's trying to bluff us off his hand. He's not going to bet a dollar here, right? Right. He's, it's going to be a you know a significant bet, um, especially a percentage of our stack as well too, right? So um, I, that's going to be tough for me to call now. Um, you know, you know, it, it's it's not always a mistake to to try to to make a move and hope that it wins and it, it and it doesn't work out. But um, I I just think we're we're tough we're in a tough spot here and uh, got to let it go. Well, this is this all goes back to. The fundamentals of the game and and building the foundation of this hand and in the beginning what do they tell you when you start playing poker no matter if it's if it's you know short stack short deck whatever or not it says hey you want to play hands of position and you want to play quality starting hands and then once you get the nuances of the game and you understand how people are playing then you play the people but you still play position right. he's put himself in a really bad spot by calling a raise with a small blind in the small blind i mean so he's out of position and then he did it with queen six. And just because it was suited, it got him in this trouble. And then we saw the back door, and then it kept him around for another street when he hit another one on the turn. Now he's looking at this situation where he's out of position with a top pair and horrible kicker. Hopefully the, the, we check and the guy checks behind. Um, you know, if we bet, hopefully the guy was on like... The other thing, too, is I mentioned ace-king. That might be a hand you can dismiss just because he would not, probably would not have called your check-raise with ace-king. Um, uh, that's a good point, unless it was clubs. Unless but. it was clubs. But even then, right, the check raise came on the flop. It didn't come on the turn when there were two clubs. So right. the check, so he wouldn't even check raise, so he wouldn't have called it. So I'm going to rule out probably the ace-king, but the ace-queen is certainly a hand that might play it the way this guy played it. And so we're going to be guessing the whole way. And now we check and we put ourselves in this position, if we do, where he could now shove on us or bet 5 $6, and we're not willing to put in, you know, at that point probably about half, almost half our stack. Or maybe half our stack. I don't know how far down we've dwindled it to, but you know, on on queen horrible kicker, you know, we're on queen and the rest of the board is my my kicker, you know. So, uh, yeah, let, let's let's just sometimes you just got especially when you're playing ten cent twenty five cent, you got to get back to hey, let's play some ABC and get crafty when we know we can get crafty because we know the player, not yep. not hey, I have suited cards and I think they'll be that much powerful if I hit it, you know, you know, just because you had five, six of spades in the regular Hold'em game, just because it has the possibility to make a straight flush doesn't make it powerful. 
you right. know. So I, I think that's what you have to learn from this. When you're building something, you have to build a really good foundation, and queen six out of position isn't a good foundation. So that's the lesson here, and I'm checking here at the end. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, now I lost where I was here. Okay, the river's <laughs> ace of spades. All right. Uh, now I'm afraid ace king just got there, or even king ten. I check it over the button. Think I, I think I may call if the bet isn't too large. The board reads uh, seven of hearts, eight of clubs, queen of diamonds, jack of clubs, ace of spades, and the button checks it back to us and shows king king. Yeah, 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 that makes a lot of sense. It was a $14.65. He says, knowing now that the button had king, maybe a good-sized river bet gets in the fold, or maybe I played it right and the ace saved me from losing even more since the button wanted to avoid a check raise. Um, well, yeah, I think uh, we, we check raised. Uh, he called because he had an overpair. That somewhat makes sense. I mean, although yeah, yeah. check raised, I'm a little not necessarily thinking that we have the hand we have here. Um, and then, uh, um, so we get to that ace, that ace actually was scarier to him than it was to us. We had no way of knowing that. So yeah, I think if we put any kind of decent bet there that we probably win this pot, but again, there's nothing to indicate that that's what we were up against. So yeah, and and maybe not, you know, he, he might put it together that how does an ace stick around all this time and check raise, you know, because he check raise before the suits got there, the suits didn't get to the turn to the club. So what what hand check raises with an ace in it now? Ace queen? Well, yeah. even I, I I gotta think it's. I mean, the first thing I would think of if I got check raised in that spot was I was up against two pair at that point. Right. So the ace and, isn't. And a small blind and a seven eight would make more sense to me than a queen seven or a queen eight. So yeah. even a two pair we can't beat. So you know, if I'm having kings now, I think that you know maybe if that queen pairs the board or my king comes now, I've um, counterfeited my opponent. So. That might be why I'm, I'm going to call. So that ace in that scenario, I guess, doesn't really change the scenario for us, right? Yeah, check it. raise is the, is the key, <laughs> right? Because no one, no one, there's no ace hand that check raises there, except maybe ace queen. But then doesn't ace queen maybe re-raise? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not from the small blind. Maybe not. Well, ace, ace queen. Ace queen is not, ace queen's not going to check it to us there. That's that's the problem with that. Thing, yeah. Right? So. Yeah, at the end, the ace queen's betting for value. So I, I just don't believe the ace is gonna. I don't think we get him off the hand now. I really don't. I think no matter what we bet, he would have called. I think he lost a minimum there at the end. Well, the only way you can get him off there is that if he was just crying, making two crying calls, hoping that he'd hit his king or, or like I said, uh, it was a running pair, and that didn't happen. So, um, you know, at that point, he may think that he was behind since the check raise. He didn't catch up. Now he's gonna fold. So. Yeah. But again, now we have to like really narrow them down to that hand. I mean, there's really no other hand. We can, I mean, where are we going to narrow them down to a tens? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, the consolation, Rob, is that you were our hand of the week. <laughs> and not only did you made history by being the first short deck hand of the week yes. ever. So thank you very much for doing that. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs>